Via Hemp, let's talk about it. Via Hemp offers THC and non-TH craft cannabis experiences. Now, I love a non-THC option when it comes to your overall wellness. I'm talking sleep aid, maybe anxiety if you have that. Well, that's where Via comes into play. And did you know even a non-THC option if you're doing fertility or IVF can be helpful? Look into that. Well, Via is incredible. You got to be 21 plus. You can get 15% off with my exclusive code TSFS when you go to viahemp, V-I-I-A, hemp.com. They have all kinds of lifestyle products. And like I said, the best part is with the THC or without, so you don't have the buzzy buzzy. Don't you love my cannabis lingo? I mean, the buzzy buzzy. Anyway, I'm unique. What can I say? Look, order now. You're going to love Via Hemp. Use the code TSFS to receive 15% off and a one-time free sample of their award-winning gummies, 21 plus. That's viahemp.com and use the code TSFS at checkout. Support the show. Tell them I sent you and enhance your everyday life with Via Hemp. Summer is almost here. Don't you want to go to the beach with thicker, gorgeous, beautiful locks and everyone goes, hey, I love your hair. And you go, Nutrafol, baby. You know, something along that lines. Well, take the first step to visibly thicker, healthier hair. For a limited time, Nutrafol is offering my listeners $10 off your first month subscription and free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com and you enter the promo code TSFS. Find out why over 4,500 healthcare professionals and hairstylists recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. I recommend it. I've been taking Nutrafol for years. It's how I got my hair back thicker and not falling out in chunks after I had KJ. Now it's your turn. Nutrafol has been on with me for years, and that's because you all continue to buy, and it really works. I love it. Now it's your turn to love it too. Nutrafol.com, spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com with the promo code T-S-F-S. That's Nutrafol.com with the promo code T-S-F-S. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. We're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. Hey, everybody, welcome to a brand new episode of the Sarah Frazier Show podcast. Every Monday, I have been teaming up with Natasha Alisa. You guys may know her as Kane's ex-wife from the radio. That is how people famously knew her for years and years. And it's a wild story. Natasha and I actually didn't speak for years. I think it's well documented all my time on the Kane show, which now I look back at and realize I learned a lot of great lessons from. But I think for people who are new to my show or listen to me other days and then pop in on Mondays, it was a very popular radio show in the DMV that started in 2007 and ended around 2018, 2019, and sadly, Kane passed away in 2020. Natasha talks all about that. You can go back and search the Sarah Fraser Show podcast episodes to see and get caught up with part one, part two, part three, where really she talks about her life up until this point. We loved it so much, we decided to continue our partnership and do podcasts every Monday for the near future, and then we'll go from there. Today, Dana Witten is joining us. She is a family law attorney in the D.C. region, and the advice today she is giving pertains just to D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. We also wanted to make a note that we had solicited for questions for Dana 
which she's awesome and provides. Uh, and one of those was about prenups. And we were specifically talking about if you ha- own a home, you get married, you put your spouse's name on the deed of the home, and then you get divorced. Are they entitled to that home or not? So Dana just wanted to clarify that putting your spouse's name on property and if they are entitled to that property in the event you get divorced depends on different factors, including if the condo was paid off. So we just wanted to make that note. You can get in touch with Dana Witten by going to her website if you are considering getting divorced or separated or have a child al- custody question, child support, alimony question, dwittenlaw.com. Here's Dana. Okay, Natasha, I, th- this, is a, this is our first time on these episodes having a guest and co-hosting and then with a guest. Are you ready, Natasha Alisa? I know we're going just next level here. We're so professional, Sarah. I can't even. <laughs> I know. I was thinking, I like, look, I say this every week and then yesterday I got busy, so I didn't text you, but I'm like, okay, again, I cannot believe this is our eighth episode. Like if you had told me a year ago, a year ago, I would be doing a podcast with Natasha, of course, famously Kane's ex-wife, who I was friends with for years. And then we didn't, it's just amazing. So anyway, here we are. Here we are. So Um, exciting. And I'm really excited for this one. This is the perfect first guest for us. Me too, because, um, so let's get to our guest. Dana Witten is here. You guys may have seen her on my social media. I think Natasha's been sharing her. Dana is a super lawyer in Maryland, but she's licensed in D.C., Maryland, Virginia. We're going to talk about that because a lot of you had questions about that. And she's a family law attorney. So what that means is, uh, Dana, you handle divorces, child custody, alimony, um, Welcome to our podcast. Thank you very much. Um, and just for clarification purposes, I'm licensed in Maryland and Virginia and currently pending in D.C., okay. um, but I can uh, accept clients in D.C. and represent them um, through my colleagues um, can help kind of wave me in. So Okay, good, because... Help- that was like the first question from our listeners. Like Natasha and I, we'd solicited questions and like everyone wanted to know if you could, if you can represent people in DC and Virginia too. So, okay. Pending DC. Um, Okay. Well, Dana, we, you know, we put it out there. We got just tons of questions for you. And obviously Natasha is going to jump in throughout this episode with her own personal experience because getting divorced is so tricky um, and can go in so many different directions. Um, So, you know, in no particular order, we were just going to start. One of the big things that people wanted to know was overall in the D.C. region, how much does a divorce cost? I thought this was a really interesting question um, because it unfortunately requires me to give the lawyerly answer of it depends. Um, Do we have children? Do we have assets? Do we live in a leased apartment? Um, are there cars? Are there homes? Are there businesses? Um, are there retirement assets? Um, so I can't exactly answer that question um, to the T. But what I can say is that if you and your spouse or you and your partner are able to reach an agreement uh, prior to going to court, which I did a lot during COVID, um, people were ready to um, just you know separate um, with as much. Um, you know, with, with the least amount of drama as possible. So if you are able to reach an agreement with your partner spouse, um, fully signed, executed, you can get divorced um, in the state of Maryland in under a year. Uh, oh, wow. In Virginia, you still have to be separated for six months, um, but it can certainly streamline the process. Um, and I would encourage everyone to try to resolve it because then if there's children involved, it's less, um, like I said, it's, it's less dramatic. 
Um, and there's a lot less hatred left on the table than there would be if you went to court. Um, so. I, I think what people were going for there, is there like in your world, is there a national average? Like, I mean, is the is the average divorce cost like usually $10,000 by the time you retain your attorney, you know, you're calling your attorney. Is there is there like a number that's out there? Again, I'm sorry, and I hate to say it, it does depend. <laughs> um, I would say upwards of $10,000. I could yeah. confidently say that. Yeah. I think people were wanting to know that because they're saving to get divorced. So they want to know, like, okay, what's my app? What do I need to save for? You know? Yeah. And, and I mean, so much of it, like she was saying, of of what you can do yourself is – as least contentious as it can be between the two of you, the more money you will save from having done it both ways. One that was insanely expensive and one that, you know, we did 99% of it ourselves. The reason it got so expensive with Peter was we had lawyers on every single email, every little issue that came up, you know, you didn't send the girl's uniform that I paid for. That was, you know, 30 minutes billable hours from the attorney, you know, and you pay by the hour when you pay an attorney, you put down a retainer and then you're charged by the, by an hourly fee. So the least you can keep your fighting out of the divorce process, the more money in your pocketbook. Dana, I'm curious. I absolutely agree. I'm curious about this kind of like Natasha with you, with what you went through with Kane, right? And we know it was like, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. And obviously Kane was making, you know, great money in radio at that time. Dana, what happens? Because this was kind of a question was, you know, what happens when you're like one person is the breadwinner? So like obviously Peter, you know, had all this money. I mean, does he have to pay for the attorney fees? What if I'm getting divorced? Dan has all the money, you know, like. Like, that must have been so hard, Natasha, right? Like, you knew you only had a certain amount of money, or was Peter paying for both sets of attorneys? Like, how does that generally work? I would love to know Dana's advice about this because, you know, I was a stay-at-home mom, and like you said, he was the massive breadwinner. And when we separated, I was totally on my own to come up with a retainer to put down, which I had to, you know, beg my parents to help me with because I didn't have $20,000 sitting around to put down a retainer for an attorney. Um, and then later on, I kind of wish my attorneys had done a better job, but we asked the court for him to pay, you know, some of my attorney's fees. But there's a reason I left that marriage pretty much broke, and that's because it all went to lawyers. So I would love to know Dana's advice about if there's a better way to handle that if you are not the if you don't have the salary coming in like your spouse yeah that's probably the toughest part when you are the dependent spouse is being able to um afford attorneys um there's some attorneys that um and i'm one of them um depending on the situation that can put you on um kind of a payment plan um but that ultimately with the idea that you would ask the court for um a contribution to or um payment of your um attorney's fees and um i don't know what happened in natasha's case specifically but um usually that is awarded um and that can help alleviate the financial constraints for the dependent spouse oh yeah okay and that i don't know like how much you can share but did they eventually award you like money, oh, like yeah, at least he had to pay. I, mean, I, I don't mind sharing this at all. It is, it's ridiculous. But, you know, my case was the extreme. But he ran me up 
so much legal debt that by the time we finally divorced, which took four years for us to even divorce because it was just so much back and forth. um, I had about $350,000 in lawyer's fees. On your side? That was on just-, just my side. That was just mine. Um, and I believe, not granted, this was a while ago, but the court ordered him to pay sixty grand of it. So I was left with like the rest, which I could never possibly pay off. You know, my attorneys put me on some sort of payment plan, but it was, you know, drops in a bucket. So when we, you know, the big mansion in Potomac that you were so jealous of, when we <laughs> yes. finally sold it, my half of it went straight to the attorneys. I didn't get a penny from the sale of that house. And it still didn't even cover, you know, all my legal debt. What, do you know a what? lot of times that happens is post-divorce, um, <sighs> the dependent spouse is forced to, um, you know, use some of the funds that they received after their divorce from their spouse, but, you know, from a sale of a home or sale of a business um, in order to pay legal fees. Um, I can tell you mine have never, I've never seen $350,000 in legal fees. Um, but uh, that's <laughs> it's insane, right? Astronomical. It's astronomical. Okay. You know, I almost wonder because that was, those were the attorneys that I used the first time, which I really feel like I didn't get the best advice and service from. And this was just my situation and, and me speculating, but I kind of feel like they knew how much money he was making and saw dollar signs and didn't do anything to help stop the billable hours from keep continuing to rake up. You know, every time his attorney wanted to put a crappy motion out there that had no merit whatsoever. I can now see in hindsight, they were happy to, you know, want to go to court over it or go back and forth. And and in hindsight, I see like we could have just said, no, screw you. Like, go ahead, take that to court. No judge is going to hold any weight to that. Like it was stupid stuff. Like you want to take me to court over Halloween, like stupid baseless motions. But I think they just saw dollar signs and were hopeful that the judge was going to award a heck of a lot more money in um in attorney's fees for Peter to pay my attorney's fees and it didn't end up happening. It's I'm sure it's probably hard for you to comment like on that Dana cuz obviously like you didn't know their case but I I I don't know. I mean, do you Dana look you work with all kinds of different attorneys. I mean, do you I would hope, right, that most attorneys, they take an oath that they're they're trying to do it in an ethical way and not saying like, oh, we've got a rich client here, so let's just rack up the money. But I mean, obviously, at the same time, there are attorneys that are shitty. So I guess it's hard to say, right? I mean, I would love to know from Dana what what you would do. What do you do in a situation? Because I know a lot of my followers um, have very narcissistic narcissistic contentious exes that use the court system to get at them because it's the only way they can try and control them anymore. What do you do when you're representing a woman to, is there anything you can do to kind of put your foot down and protect her from the other person abusing the family law system to try and just, um, you know, attack her? Uh, yes, uh, I had that case, um, a case similar to that, um, that we had a four-day trial on in earlier this year. Um, and so she and I reached an agreement um, that if any motion was filed, um, that she didn't want to see it, 
until she had my response or so that she could read them together um, or a resolution of whatever motion was filed. So that's kind of how I was able to insulate her from um, feeling, you know, feeling more like he was in control of the situation um, because she had originally told me that when she would read what his attorney filed, you know, without my response, um, you know, it was a trigger for her um, and it, you know, freaked, freaked her out. It made her upset all over again. And so in order for us to um, move forward and for me to be sensitive to her feelings, um, that's what we did. And she was comfortable with that. And she uh, was, was grateful that that's how we handled it. So that was because a, a lot of the motions that, that the husband filed got denied. So um wasn't kind of like what Natasha said. Um, there was wasn't necessarily a lot of merit to it. It was more, I, in my opinion, I think, like to bully her. So um, when she she felt a lot better, like I said, when they would file something and I would provide, you know, it, it takes me time to draft a response, um, but I would give her both together so that she could have the full understanding of what the issues are mm. um, with respect to whatever motion he's filed. Oh, I love that. Because like, Sarah, you and I talk about boundaries all the time and how to set healthy boundaries with your ex. She basically used you to set a boundary to protect her emotional well-being that she didn't have to see, you know, all of that. Because it's so triggering. It is so triggering every time you get an email from the attorney and you see what the other attorney is saying, you know, because they can spout up all the nastiness they want about you. And it, it, absolutely made me crazy. So I love that you came up with that and were able to protect her from having to read it until she absolutely had to read it. Right. Um, but she would always tell me, I mean, every time, even when I did give her the response, because they came into like PDFs, for example, like his motion is one PDF, my response is in another PDF. And she would tell me, she's like, I read his and I was, you know, triggered again and unhappy and then I read what you wrote and I feel so much better and I think it's going to be you know fine or whatever so that's how I was able to handle her and um I know she appreciated it and so yeah um Dana we had a we had a question from a listener about prenups um obviously you handle when people relationships do not work um what's your take on prenups should everybody sign one this listener said I have $50,000 in a retirement. That's all I have. But, I, you know, I'm wondering, should I have my future spouse sign a prenup? And, you know, when I do interviews like this and I hear you, I'm like, I need to post up with Dan ASAP. I'm like, I need a man. I need a papa. Because it's like, it always starts out great. But then it like, you know, if it does go south, I mean, it just seems like for the most part, it really goes south. So give us, obviously you see the worst, but what's your take on a prenup? And even if you don't have that much in assets, should you sign one? Um, okay. So this is another, it depends, uh, answer. Um, I guess with the listener, uh, who has $50,000 in assets, um, because they own that prior to the marriage, that money will always be theirs. That'll be their separate, um, non-marital, what we call, um, money or, uh, retirement dollars or retirement assets, whatever it is. Um, so you don't, you, by, by operation of law, you know, uh, th their spouse will never be able to um, attack, you know, get their funds um, absent a couple of things. Um, but 
you know, I would say if it's your first marriage and you're 30 in your thirties or under, you probably don't have a lot of assets. So I would say that you don't need one. Um, Want your life back? Order Hungry Root. It's actually as simple as that. Truly, Hungry Root is the best meal kit service I have ever worked with because they have meals that take 12 minutes. Guys, if you are a busy mom like I am, KJ now just started swim lessons. And on the night that he has swim lessons, we're not home until six. I'm trying to make dinner, trying to get him rested and down for bedtime. When I see that number 12, and I know in 12 minutes I can have a healthy meal, I'm turned on. All right. <laughs> You will be too. Hungry Roots website, so easy to use as well. You just go, you can type in a type of cuisine or if you like chicken, or you can do preset where you tell them you're vegetarian, keto, or you're a meat lover. Right now, get 40% off. My listeners are getting 40% off your first delivery and free veggies for life. Just go to HungryRoot.com slash TSFS and get 40% off your first delivery and get your free veggies. That's HungryRoot.com slash TSFS. Don't forget to use my link so they know who sent you and get 40% off right now and free veggies for life. Hero Breads. Oh my gosh. Chef's kiss. Do you love carbs? I'm obsessed. Give me a croissant. Give me a tortilla, baby, every day, slathered with some hummus. Yes, please. And then a lot of veggies, a little turkey burger in it. Okay. Um, That's my own proprietary sandwich. Thanks. (laughs) Hero Breads right now offering 10% off. Go to hero.com. Co. Enter the promo code TSFS. You are getting 10% off. Now, Hero Bread is so delicious and flavorful, soft, fluffy. In fact, so fluffy that KJ loves it slathered with butter and cinnamon every day. They're known for their products to have zero to one grams of net carbs, zero sugar, and high in fiber. So what are you waiting for? Don't give up being a breadhead. Hero Bread is offering 10% off your order. Go to hero.co and use the code TSFS at checkout. That's TSFS at H-E-R-O dot C-O. Ten years ago, I lost 60 pounds mindful eating, and today I have kept the weight off. I never think about food. I never count calories. Honey, I don't even use one of those darn trackers or apps. I live with food freedom, and I want that for you if you are ready and you want it. And that's where My Optimal Body comes into play. Visit MyOptimalBody.com to request an appointment, and be sure to let them know that the Sarah Fraser Show sent you so you can qualify for a free personalized assessment plus a bonus free 30-day supply of of their gut repair product when you sign up for a customized plan. That is myoptimalbody.com to request an appointment. Why I wanted to partner with Dr. Applin is because he is a doctor that gets to the cellular and gut reason of why you can't lose weight and keep it off. They also work with your mental capacity as well. So many of us are emotional eaters. They address that and their clients see long-term success. If you are ready to lose weight, keep it off, and you don't want to do crazy ozempic, myoptimalbody.com and tell them the Sarah Fraser Show sent you. Do you hear that? That is the sound of the brand new and delicious You Natural Conception for her in their juicy strawberry gummy flavor. Oh my, this is now my favorite thing to take. It's a fertility aid. If you haven't heard about them, they are unbelievable with thousands of five-star reviews on Amazon. Go and read them for yourself. And they're famous for their conception for her and conception for him formula, which Schman, my hubby, has been taking for over a month because it takes two to tango. 
Conception for her fertility aid is a well-researched baby. They have ingredients like ashkawanda, zinc, magnesium that can help you on that journey to have a healthy baby. So what are you waiting for? Go and order now. You're going to love it, and I want to hear from you. Check out You Natural on Amazon and use code FRASER20 for 20% off Conception for Her, Conception for Him, and the Conception Bundle. That's EU Natural on Amazon, or follow the link on our website for 20% off Conception for Her, Conception for Him, and the Conception Bundle with the promo code Fraser 20. That's F R A S E R. The number's two zero. How ironic! I love this. Got a new podcast for you to listen to. Yes, I do. It's the Dr. John Delani Show. Schman and I were actually playing a clip from Dr. John's podcast because he was doing the topic of are youth travel sports ruining families? Well, Dr. John Delani has over 20 years of sitting with families and dealing with hurting people and mental health issues. He has a PhD in counseling. Delani walks alongside real people as they navigate tough decisions. And this is actually something that I really enjoy about his show. It's caller driven. I feel like I'm going to have to get a collar-driven show, Dr. John. I love this. Anyway, listen to the Dr. John Delani Show wherever you get your podcast, or you can follow the link in the description of this podcast episode. I always make it very, very easy to find my sponsors and people that I partner with. So start downloading and listening today to the Dr. John Delani Podcast. Enjoy. If it's your second marriage and you're probably over 30, um, and there's children involved, maybe from your first marriage, that I would suggest that that would be when a premarital agreement would make the most sense. Or if there's like a family business, that would be the exception to what I just said. If there's a family business, um, family, uh, yeah, or if, if the, yeah, if there's a business involved, I would suggest having one. But I would say, as a general rule, if you're first marriage, 30 and under, I don't think we need one. Um, and because then the issue of, well, do I waive alimony now or do I come up with a number now for alimony? Um, you know, if and when we get divorced. Um, and so I just wouldn't want somebody to, um, cut themselves short. Um, right. So I think if it's your first marriage, I think you should, you know, go go all in, um, absent, like significant family assets and businesses, if that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. That's good advice. Okay. I, I would have thought, I mean, I would have thought you would have said like, you know, if you're 18, like sign that damn prenup, like, I, you know, you're not getting my Ford Focus, you know, I mean, like that's like, that's <laughs> like, I'm keeping the well, the thing is you probably own, own the Ford Focus already. So by operation of law, it's yours. Does that make well, sense? Well, let me ask you this. Yeah, how does that Okay, yeah, if you if anything that you had before you came into the marriage is your own property and you don't need a prenup to protect that if you divorce in the future, then why have a prenup at all if it's already if what you come into the marriage with is secured as yours without one if that Again, makes sense that's why I, that's why i said it should really be in my opinion for second second time marriages um when there's children involved to just kind of protect your assets and maybe you would have i don't know there there can be an issue of commingling and using funds from a previous you know that you had um from your first marriage or whatever and then you use it to buy a house with your second 
spouse, um, that's when you kind of run into some issues. That's where I've seen prenuptial agreements come into play to say, look, this is my money that I'm putting towards this house. I'm just, and I'm, I guess I'm generalizing. Sure. I just people over the age of 30 on their second marriages probably have accumulated more assets to buy more assets in their second marriage, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. That makes total sense. There's more commingling of funds as opposed to just being a single person up through the age of like 35 and just living your life <laughs> and you have your 401k and you have your Ford Focus and, and you have your condo and all of that. Um, but if it's a first time marriage, I just, in my opinion, I think that you should go all in. And does that go for like, okay, if you're 25 and you've bought a condo and then you get married, but you came to the, the marriage with the condo, but, let, but let's say you end up putting your spouse's name on the deed. Aren't they entitled to that then or no? Because you bought it prior and you can prove that. It's yours, even if their name's on it. That's correct. So, um, yes, that's right. So that's why you would need just documented proof that um, how you bought it, the funds that you use um, to buy it, uh, the the original title, um, but just simply adding their name to a house or a condo that you already own does not automatically convert the property to um, marital property. Okay, wow. That's interesting. I never would have guessed that. I would have thought once you're on the title, then you all have it. I guess, again, it kind of depends. But if, well, you yeah. can prove it, if you can prove it, then you're in the clear. Hmm. All right. We have a lot of questions to get through from listeners. They were very into this topic. I think we kind of covered this, but I just wanted to circle back. Uh, one woman wrote, I'm a stay-at-home mom. Will it impact me having child custody due to no income? How is alimony and child support determined? What factors are considered? So I'm sure, you know, everybody's case is different, but is there kind of a starting roadmap? Yes. I thought this was a very good question. It's very important for everyone to understand that um, just because you're a stay-at-home mom and just because you don't have any income at present does not impact your ability to be a good parent. Um, They are not tied. The judge will not say to you, you don't have a job, you can't have custody. Unfortunately, I have heard men um, say that to their spouses, that you don't have a job what judge would give you custody of our children? You have nothing in your name, you know, and it's more of a gaslighting bullying tactic. Um, so it's just really important for um, the female listeners in particular to understand that income and and your ability to parent are not one and the same. Um, so with respect to the second part of the question, which is how is custody determined um, in Maryland? There are a number of factors. In Virginia, there are similar factors. In D.C., they also have custody factors is what it's called. So I would suggest wherever you live to type in D.C., Maryland, Virginia, and then the word custody factors. And it should pull up a number of um, statutes or the law, and, and it, they just list them. And that's, it's what the judge, for purposes of custody, with what the judge can, must consider when awarding um, custody. And so... At the end of the day, the custody factors are supposed to lead the judge to the answer, uh, which is what custody schedule is in the best interest of the children. Um, but so that is how they reach that answer by weighing these factors. Um, and then what was the other question about alimony? Yeah. How- Same thing with alimony. Um, so there's a number of factors <laughs> in every state. 
uh, that are very similar across DC, Maryland, and Virginia. Um, and the judge is supposed to, by law, go through each of the factors um, and kind of explain uh, their thought process. But in my humble opinion, um, I really think alimony comes down to, practically speaking, um, one spouse's ability to pay and what is the needs, the financial needs of the person receiving the alimony. Like what can, you know, if we're using a husband and a wife, what can the husband afford to pay while still supporting himself? Now, I had mentioned, Sarah and I talked about this, in Virginia, um, the cause of the demise of the marriage will be taken into account. I would say in Maryland, not so much. Um, and D.C., not so much. Which basically uh, means Virginia, cheating. I know that. Cheating, correct. Yeah. Cheating, right. If in, yes. in Virginia, if your significant other cheats on you, they are not going to yeah. get any alimony. That's sort of the law there. Mm-hmm. Wow. So I need to move to Virginia to make sure my husband <laughs> won't cheat on me because he'll get penalized. Noted. Um, one couple wrote in, they're a same-sex couple getting divorced in Charles County, Maryland. They wanted to know, as a same-sex couple, couple, is there something they should be asking about or anything different for them with same-sex couples when it comes to divorce? I read that, and that totally that broke my heart. Um, no, same-sex couples are absolutely treated as, heter- as the same as heterosexual couples. And just like they have the right to get married, they also have the right to um, be divorced. There's case law. So this specific listener was asking about um, a, a county in Maryland, and there is case law that in Maryland that particularly protects same-sex couples um, when getting divorced and when getting custody. Um, so I they should just, they should be, luckily, I should say, luckily, we live in the DMV, which is a very progressive area. Um, so I can't speak to other states, um, but I find that, you know, we're in a progressive area and everyone is treated the same. And if they're not, then we've got a bigger issue on our hands. Yeah. Well, that's great. That's great to know. Guys, you've gotten a special treat today. You have heard from Dana Witten herself. Dana is an amazing family law attorney. She's a super lawyer. She's been named by Bethesda Magazine as one of the D.C. region's top attorneys. And I think from our conversation today, you're finding out why. She's amazing. Um, Look, if you're going through a divorce, most people file in January of a new year. And Dana says that's not a good idea. You should file now. There's things you need to be getting ready for, things you need to be planning, thinking about. Go to her website, dwittenlaw.com. Also, she is offering, through just mentioning the Sarah Fraser Show, a 60-minute consultation for just $150. Guys, that's unheard of. Normally, it's $300 an hour. For $150, you can capture her for an hour and get all the divorce, child, alimony questions answered that you have and decide if Dana is the right attorney for you. Book her today. Go to dwittenlaw.com. Horizon Fibroids. Guys, I love myself some Dr. Will. Dr. Will Neem has been a longtime sponsor of the Sarah Fraser Show, and he's also a top fibroid doctor, not just in Maryland, where he has multiple locations nationwide. If you have fibroids, fibroids are painful. They can cause fertility issues, bloating, long periods, heavy periods, and 80% of women will have a fibroid by the age of 50. It's bananas. The scariest part, though, is lots of times, even though we love our OBGYNs, I love mine, 
they may not know all the options for you. And Dr. Will is specialized in uterine fibroid embolization, a procedure that is safe and has been around for 20 plus years. He accepts almost all insurance. You can go to horizonfibroids.com, sign up at the page right there, find out if he takes your insurance and make an appointment today. Go to horizonfibroids.com. All right, so Dana, we had this question about a woman being the breadwinner. You know, oftentimes you see it other way around, but this woman wrote and she says, I'm the breadwinner. Um, I'm getting divorced, been with my husband for nine years, and we live in D.C. I'm a nurse. I don't think he's going to ask for money, but my friends say I need to be prepared for him to turn nasty. How can I plan and be prepared that things might go south without pissing him off? Okay, so that's a very good question. Um, A lot of times what I tell my clients is um, to just blame me. So I do think she should get an attorney so she can talk about her options. So she can talk about what her, what the finances in the family look like between her versus him. Um, But in terms of not pissing him off, I really just encourage my clients to say, it's, it's not me, it's my lawyer. And that really seems to work. And I have no problem throwing myself under the bus. Um, and so that really seems to work in terms of toning um, anger down um, from you know the other side. Uh, and that makes my clients feel safe uh, that they can just blame it on me. So, um, you know, I'm, that's what I encourage them to do. It's so, gosh, I'm curious too, like, because that that makes total sense and I love that. Um, But I'm curious what your advice would be if kind of it's a little reverse, because I've heard, I've gotten a few emails with women saying that the husband is the one who, you know, they're getting separated, they've decided to separate, children are involved, and he's saying, we don't need to get lawyers involved, you know, I'm going to figure out how much money you need and I'm going to take care of it. And, you know, I want to just like yell through the screen, like, no, don't be an idiot, you know, that you as much as you want to trust him, because this is somebody that you were married to and you obviously loved, you need to protect yourself. So what's your advice um, for people that are separating for the woman if, you know, he's kind of saying we don't need to get lawyers involved, we can just do this on our own? Um, So I've had this situation before, and usually I operate kind of behind the scenes. Um, You don't have to tell your spouse everything, especially if you're going through a separation. Um, And you you certainly should run things by an attorney um, before you sign anything. Um, And so I have helped, like I said, people behind the scenes. And, um, you know, I'm able to give them um, maybe a different perspective than what the husband is willing to provide for, I might say we could do better in court, um, or I don't think this is enough. And I think that this is what you should say back. I've certainly helped clients write, write email correspondences, um, you know, when this situation has occurred. Um, but so I would highly suggest um, at least retaining an attorney for purposes of just getting a different perspective um, and a legal perspective. And also, I can't stress this enough. I've had clients come in and they've signed an agreement because they promised that their husband would be, would give them this, it it would be this way and it's not this way. And they spend more money trying to fix what they signed uh, than they would have spent if they had just contacted an attorney to begin with. 
That's such good <laughs> advice. Well, let me ask you, I don't know if this is an ethical or legal question, but do you have to tell your husband or your significant other that you're getting this advice from a lawyer that you've retained in a lawyer and you're running it past them or can they kind of just pay to get the advice from you and then you know run it off as their own so my duty is to my client so in this situation my duty would be to the wife to make sure that um i am at, you know abiding by my ethical standards with her with respect to her husband who would be an opposing party um, the same standards do not apply. So no, um, the wife does not need to tell the, the her husband or spouse that um, she's consulting with an attorney. Um, and like I said, I've, I've done it before. Um, there's nothing wrong with that because um, you want to be able to protect yourself as best as possible. Because like I said, it, you can spend more money trying to clean up a mess than you would have if you had just done it the right way through counsel to begin with, or at least having some kind of legal advice. I think that that's just brilliant because just, I mean, I, I, Sarah, I couldn't tell you because, you know, we get all these messages all the time, how many messages I get from women that are wanting to separate and they're scared to actually talk to an attorney. Um, I mean, one woman that I was having this conversation with, she was worried that if she spoke to an attorney first, then the divorce could be a judge would see it as her fault and she could end up losing more custody of her kids or something because she initiated the divorce by talking to an attorney. Wow. Is that true? No. Okay, no. good. Because I told her no. no, but now I'm like, is that true? <laughs> No, um, I have never heard a judge care who filed first, who met with the lawyer first, when you met with the lawyer, how many times you met with the lawyer. Um, I mean, that comes ultimately down to attorney's fees and, um, you know, who should contribute what to attorney's fees if one spouse has more assets to pay the other's attorney's fees. Um, but no, a judge does not care who files first um, in family court because, you, you know, it, the divorce is over um, and that's why you're in court. Uh, so I've never had anybody be asked, you know, you, you, you know, the, the divorce is all your fault because you filed first or because you sought legal counsel first. If anything, a judge would prefer you to have a lawyer so that you're not showing up in their courtroom without counsel and trying to represent yourself and kind of not having a, you know, a, a case to put on instead you're pro se is what that's called. You represent yourself without an attorney, which can be um, very difficult. Um, so a judge would prefer you to have counsel so that everyone is speaking the same language, if that makes sense, the judge and then your attorney, and then I can explain it to my client. Dana, I'm curious, based on Natasha's situation, right, is is there something you should, like, how do you find a good attorney that's going to be a good fit for you? I mean, you know, because you're really in the driver's seat. It's your money, you know, that you're going to be giving this lawyer. I mean, but are there certain questions or, um, you know, is there something that kind of like, okay, you're a super lawyer, right? I mean, and, and you obviously have great accolades. What can people look for in attorney, in an attorney that might say to them, this person really is a good fit for me? Um, I think this would be a good question for Natasha to answer, but I think um, from what I've seen um, from my clients is comfortability. Um, and, you know, I was able to figure out 
with my client who um, was triggered by her ex-husband's kind of behavior. Um, we were able to reach an agreement, she and I, about what I would be letting her know about, you know, when it was happening um, so that, it, you know, she could um, not be upset by all of it. But it really just comes down to who makes you feel comfortable, who you think will represent your best interests at court. But um, maybe Natasha can give a perspective on that as well. No, I think that's a fabulous answer. And, you know, I was thinking in my head about if God forbid I had to do this again, if I had to do it again, like a third time, I'm just moving to a nunnery <laughs> and, and giving up on life. <laughs> if I, God forbid, had to do it again. Um, you know, one thing that I was wondering, because I hear from a lot of people, you, you know, it seems to me, let me phrase it this way. There's kind of two types of attorneys, at least in my experience. There's like, the bulldog, super aggressive, you know, like alpha type of attorney that it's all about litigation. It's all about, you know, just punishing the other person and just going, you know, like balls to the wall. And then there's other type of attorneys, which are the types that I've tend to sought out more that you can more sit down and have a conversation about here's what's important to me. It's really important to me that I have 60% custody of my kids and this much amount of money to go on or the house is really important to me um and what's your kind of creative way to get that done with the least amount of money possible and i mean you kind of strike me as as that type of attorney more than the other kind but what do you do when every time that you know peter went through a couple different attorneys and everyone he hired was that just like asshole bulldog type attorney that was all about just obliterating me and everything's about litigation, going to court. I don't want to be that type of person. And I think a lot of women maybe can relate to that, that they don't want it to be like that. But what do you do when your spouse is hiring that kind of attorney? That's a, a great question. I think that probably, um, in my experience, attorneys act the way or behave kind of the way that their clients want them to behave, um, right? So it sounds like Peter wanted to drive you through the mud. Uh, yeah. And so his lawyers were willing to be an extension of him for that. Um, so in order to combat that, um, you need an attorney who is capable of doing both, um, which is dealing with difficult attorneys, um, but also, you know, being able to uh, make you feel comfortable, make you feel like your best interests are being put first. Um, and so, like I had said earlier, uh, with my particular client who had been very emotionally abused by her um, spouse, uh, we, her husband did hire a a, a difficult attorney, um, but we were able to um, overcome that in terms of her fears, and um, I, I ultimately got her divorced, which is what she wanted the most. Uh, and you know, so you just you need to find an attorney that you feel, like I said, comfortable, but also can um, you know fight for you as well. So maybe part of what you could ask when you go in for, because first, you know, you want a consultation with an attorney. You don't just, you know, pick one out of the phone book and hire them. You can pay just for a consultation, an hour's worth of time to sit down with them. Maybe, and I hadn't thought of this before, but it's a good idea not just to talk about 
what you want in the divorce, but also what type of opponent you're up against, you know, mm. like who your ex is. And because like you said, then their attorney is probably going to be an extension of them. And you can ask like, what would you, you know, like how you just explained, what's your game plan going to be to protect me, but also, you know, help me in this fight against a certain type of ex. It's a good usually, question. Um, usually when I have um, clients that feel like they're going to be bullied in court, um, that comes up in our first conversation. Um, so that is a very important thing to try to identify for the attorney, um, you know, going into it, at least when you have the initial consultation, you know, I, I think my my husband's going to be really difficult or my spouse is going to be really difficult. You know, um, you should know that up front. Um, you know, he'd rather, he's going scorched earth tactic. Um, you know, are, are you capable of handling that kind of litigation? Which I'm sure but you that, are. <laughs> sure. Yeah, oh my gosh. The, I mean, you've been in the business a long time. Do it again. <laughs> I know who, I know who to go to. Well, let me ask you this, because this was one thing that I, I hear a lot from women and in my own personal situation I experienced, and I honestly don't know the answer to. So after Peter and I were already divorced, you know, it never ended with him wanting to take me back to court and, he, you know, filing a motion that he wanted custody changed or, you know, different things in our divorce agreement. He was always saying I had violated the agreement and he was going to hold me in contempt of court. And his attorneys, no matter how frivolous it was, were happy to be, take his money and be an extension of him. What can you do after like your divorce is done to protect yourself from being having the loss, the family law system be a way that your ex just still abuses you because you can't spend money for eternity on lawyers. So what can you do when your ex is using, you know, an attorney to bully you? Um, that's a very good question. Yeah. Um, I, um, I haven't had any experience like what you've been, what you've described. Usually by the end of it, the abusing spouse is over it. <laughs> Maybe it's because they find they've found someone else or I don't know what, but um, I would say, um, and this goes to um, gaslighting tactics. Um, I had a client who would email herself um, just so that it was, and I thought this was so smart. She would email herself about incidents that had happened. And this was not post-divorce. This was, you know, but the same could apply post-divorce. Um, but she would email situations to herself about what was said, what happened. And she followed up with, with kind of photos. Um, so by the time she hired me, she had a whole binder of, um, you know, notes to herself, photographs of what had happened. Um, and it was she saved herself a lot of money because I, all I had to do was read the emails. I didn't have to get the information from her. Um, and she kind of built her case for herself. Um, and so that's what I would say is, I mean, and so emailing yourself also is a way that your ex, if you're still married or, you know, post judgment, whatever, can't, it's not like a physical journal where somebody can find it and, and burn it or whatever. 
Um, and so I always thought that was so smart that she emailed herself so that it was always like in the cloud kind of, you know, um, and so she could look back on those things and just remember what had happened to her and also just let me know as her counsel what um, her relationship was like. So document everything. That's what I would say in terms of best protecting yourself. God, that's good advice. That. Yeah. Because I get that a lot and I always say like document everything, all the little ways that he's, you know, trying to get at you every day. But I never thought about emailing it to myself. That way it's time stamped. And, you know, there's a digital footprint of when it happened and attaching the photos right when you're doing it. Brilliant. That's such good advice. I was going to ask well, you, Natasha, if you, if you did that with your divorce with Kate, like, you know, once you guys, once you figured out it was really going to lead to separation, like had you had a trail or any, I mean, because obviously we know Kane was a rare breed um, who was keeping records on everybody, not just Natasha, but, you know, notorious for recording everyone. Did you ever, do, did you start to do that? It's so hard. I didn't do it before we were separated, but after, or before we were divorced, like when we separated, I wish I would have, because the problem with not doing it is then by the time you are getting ready to go to court, it was just my word against his about all the little instances that had happened. Not to mention you, you forget, you know, of the little things that happened, but I did start, I actually, it's kind of really sad. I found the journal the other day that I was starting to keep, um, once he was starting to go downhill, you know, I told the story about how the girls were taken away the second time when they absolutely should not have been. And I was trying to get them back. And that's when I started noticing his behavior because his addiction was really getting out of control. And I started just writing it down because there was something every visit with the girls, every visit, there would be something that they had told me or something that he would do. Um, so I just started writing it, but I was only handwriting it down just with like a date and a note. It would have been much smarter to email it to myself because I always wondered if this ever does go to court, like, yes, I'm going to have all this documentation for my attorney so I don't forget anything. But is this admissible? Like, is a journal admissible? So it is because um, it also helped my client and it would have helped you um if you can't remember something um i could show you the email or your journal that you've written to yourself to refresh your recollection um so that you can talk about the incident the actual document itself is not admissible in court but that's neither here nor there but it would at least help you remember you know jog your memory as to what and you know happened surrounding the incident that you had documented um and so that can just help uh, with your testimony and your narrative and the, the story of, of, you know, your marriage and your relationship. Dana, how often, I mean, Natasha's case is so extreme, right? With, with Kane, like what she had to endure for so long. And those of us who know Kane know that that was absolutely true. But I'm curious, like the second time when Kane tried to take her, her girls away and, you know, had some success with accusing her of relapsing, which wasn't true. How often do spouses paint a false narrative? Because I think, you know, what I've heard from people over the years and, and more like they were never married, but they were just going through a child custody situation is, oh my God, I'd be terrified if they accused me of molesting our child and I didn't do it. Or, you know, um, substance abuse. And I don't, you know, but like all it took was him getting her friend to testify and say, oh yeah. You know, I mean, how, is that rare? 
Or does that happen more often we, when, than we think that people accuse people of sexual misconduct, of uh, addiction? And what can you do about it if you know that that's not who you are? Um, well, is it rare? I mean, people are capable of anything, right? Um, especially when they're mad. Um, you know, what could I say about this? I have had cases where um, my clients were falsely, my client was falsely accused of sexual molestation and that was never proven. Um, Child Protective Services didn't open up an investigation at all. Um, but, you know, that was a, a problem uh, for him. And But luckily the court didn't uh, put a lot of weight on what what about the sexual molestation but yes that does happen it does happen mm -hmm. um with respect to um relapsing um i mean uh i guess i've seen i've seen people bring um friends uh and their sponsors in from aa to say that they attend these meetings they've gone through the steps um it's really important if you know, your sobriety is in question that, you know, um, the date that you became sober, because that's the first question that you say in AA when you introduce yourself, because um, I've been to meetings uh, and uh, the judges will want to hear that you have gone through the 12 steps. That's really important to them. And I know some people don't like AA but um, or NA. Um, but that's a good way to demonstrate that you are sober is by essentially, unfortunately, parading everybody that, you know, you go to these meetings with um, into court um, to testify that that's simply not true. Mm. Um, yeah, I, mean, I often wonder if I had just because, you know, the way that it happened with me is without rehashing all of it, but my attorney advised me that, you know, between his accusation and then my best friend backing him up that, you know, she had the same concerns about me. She was like, if they file an emergency motion, you're going to lose. And this was like right at the beginning of COVID, too. And she's like, I don't know when we'll ever get back in front of a judge again. You know, you're just going to be cut off. But what if we hire a best interest attorney to represent the girls and instead of going before a judge we put this all to this woman and give her the power to decide which is what we did which when i told the story to sarah she was like but wait a minute he's paying this best interest attorney and this person has all the power like it seems kind of insane in hindsight but at the time it's so terrifying when like you hear a judge could just is going to decide to take your kids away. It's just oh. court is so intimidating that I don't know. I just um, thought anything would be better than that. But in hindsight, I could have had my sponsor come in and speak to the judge. I could have, you know, been taking drug tests and turn those in. You know, there's so many things I could have done. But at the time, it was just it was too scary to go to court, I guess. My question to you would be, is it if you had a client that I can't even imagine a similar situation because mine was so like out there, but are there times where you would tell them, you know, let's take our chance with a judge instead of just agreeing to something with the ex? You mean in terms of uh, substance abuse being at issue? Yeah, something similar to mine. I guess that's that's a really vague question, but... 
what would you tell a client who is afraid to go to court, but, and is just like, like, it's, I don't know, like, oh, I can't it's, quite get the question. I right. get what I you're know, saying. It is this one. to those of us who aren't in court every day, like to you, Dana, the court system and like fighting the government or fighting somebody else is like, no problem. You, you've been doing it for years and years. So you know the ins and outs and like, but to us who don't, it's, I could, I'm with you. I feel exactly what you're saying, Natasha. It would be if, if an attorney was saying, well, I don't know, you know, you could, we could go to court and today the judge could decide you're not going to see your girls and now we're entering COVID. You know what I'm saying? I can see how you took the, like, okay, fine. He'll pay for the special interest attorney, even though he's paying. So he has direct access to her all the time. It's hard. I mean, that's where I guess trusting your attorney, boy, you have to have a good advocate for you in your court, right? So I guess, I guess what I would say is that um, I've never seen a judge completely take away custody from um, a parent because of an allegation of substance abuse or alcohol abuse. Instead, what they do is they still allow in my experience, the parent to see the child, but under certain conditions. In what in my very first trial that I had <laughs> 10 years ago, the judge ordered my client who had her third DUI while the custody trial was pending. Um, he said, you can have custody, but you have to wear an alcohol monitoring bracelet, which <laughs> at the time she asked me, what is that? And I said, Lindsay Lohan has one. <laughs> Lindsay yeah. Lohan was getting in trouble at that time, during that time. Um, but so that was, that's an extreme example. I've never seen that happen again, although um, anything's possible, I guess, but he had her wear one and he said, you can have custody just so long as you, you know, wear this and, and, you know, abstain from alcohol and go to AA and stuff like that. So I could see a judge putting a condition on um, maybe a parent with substance abuse having, um, you know, having the allegation, facing the allegation of relapsing, um, but the the uh, the condition could be, you know, like you said, drug testing. Like they use LabCorp a lot, um, and just being able to provide, um, you know, clean clean urinalysis. Um, and then with alcoholics, it's usually a breath test um, before they have access with the children. But that's mm -hmm. usually what I've seen because I'm. I'm sorry that it was represented to you that you would not see your children. Um, yeah. That's more what I've seen, that they put conditions on the parent with the alleged right. abuse, you know, in order to see their children. They have certain conditions that they have to meet. Yeah, I wish in hindsight, I wish I would have just gone gone to court and and put it all out there for a judge. Okay, Dana Witten, you have been so good with your time. I know we, Natasha and I totally appreciate it. It's so fascinating. Um, look, you're amazing. You're our new sponsor of this podcast adventure that Natasha and I are on. So thank you. It's dwittenlaw.com is your website. You're offering, really, I mean, people should contact you. If they're thinking about getting divorced, if they have divorce questions, we didn't even get to all of them today, but we'll have you on again. Um, you're offering this 60-minute consultation for $150. You can mention Natasha. You can mention Sarah Fraser show. Um, if they hear such a good deal. Like such that is a good deal. Such a good deal. Oh my God. Come prepared with your questions. Uh Dana, what's your phone number um that people can reach out for more? 301-637-6070. And I look forward to hearing from all of you. Thank you, Dana. Thanks for being on.
Yes, thank, and thank you, you for supporting me. us. It's just, it's such good advice and it's so nice when women support other women and going through divorces is, is not fun for anybody. Nobody really wins, but having, you know, a supportive lawyer that you can put your trust in worth its weight in gold makes the whole experience, makes or breaks it. So invest in it, ladies. Protect yourself. Protect yourself. Thanks, Dana. Bye. Thank you, guys.